0: I know that we're up and down this morning, but it's our culture to honor people. One of the ways we can do that is by standing. We want to welcome Laura and Jim and Joseph from First Stone Ministries. They're here. Would you give a great big God bless you to all three of them this morning? Thank you. Appreciate you, bless you. Appreciate you, Joseph. Bless you. You may be seated. Well, a few years ago, it's probably been, I don't know, three or four years ago, we started having a service uh, about three times a year called Come and See. Everybody shout, come and see. come and see. And Come and See was birthed out of the Scriptures because there has been many occasions where people had a, uh, an encounter with Jesus. And one of the first things they would do is go and tell people to come and see. And uh, we know that the woman who encountered Jesus at the well, and Jesus revealed to her that uh, she had five husbands, and the husband that, or the man that she was living with wasn't even her husband, but she encountered the seventh man, which is Jesus, and her life was transformed, and she went throughout the city saying, come and see. Nathaniel. There's another example that would go throughout the city saying, come and see a man that's told me everything I've ever done. And so today we want to hear about stories, real stories from real people about how God has changed their life. And we want you to come and see, and we want you to come and hear about these true stories. Um, I don't know, about six months ago, um, uh, Portia Miller came to me and was sharing with me a testimony about a particular ministry that she had heard, and uh, and she heard Laura, and uh, gave her testimony. And so I, um, me and Pastor Brandon, looked into it, heard her story, got in contact with her, did a little bit of background research because we wanted to make sure that we were on the same belief system here. And so, of course, uh, we found that to be true. And so through a process of events, we invited. Laura from First Stone Ministries, and also Jim and Joseph also works within that ministry with Laura, and so they all three have a testimony about what God has done in their life and through their life, and so this morning, it's going to be kind of like an interview process. Um, I'm going to let them do most of the talking, uh, but uh, I'm going to ask a few questions, and then at the end of the interview, I, we're going to give you the microphone if you have a question, you're more than welcome to um, ask some questions, all right? So first of all, just kind of go through the line here, and, or go down the, and just tell us your name. And then after you tell us your name, uh, we'll start with you, Laura, and kind of explain to us what First Stone Ministries is all about. Okay. And then we'll get into your story.
1: All right. yeah, um, I'm Laura Perry.
0: Laura Perry.
2: Jim Farrington. Jim. Joseph
0: Thiessen. All right. And so, Laura, tell us about First Stone Ministries.
1: Uh, First Stone Ministries is a ministry based out of Oklahoma City, and um, we call it a ministry of sexual redemption. We um, help those who have um, had any sexual or relational brokenness. That can be a wide variety of things. Um, but really, we just uh, want to point people to Jesus and that you know the power that he has to transform lives.
0: All right. So it's out of Oklahoma. How... how how long has the ministry been in existence? And where do you get, why is it called First Stone? Is it First Stones or First Stone?
1: It is. Uh, it's First Stone. Okay. And um, it's based out of John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery, um, where Jesus said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. Um, so we are not casting stones at anyone. We are not condemning anyone. Um, but Jesus also said, go and sin no more. So we, we want to help people and we, we want to, show people the freedom that there is in Christ. Uh, It was started, they know the history a little more, uh, about 40 years ago.
2: So this was, First Stone was founded by um, uh, the Rogers. Um, They had a son who came out to them and they went to their church. And the church's response to them was, your son is an abomination. He's going to hell and there's nothing we can do for you. And they were solid in the Word of God, and they knew that that could not be um all there is to it that there was something more and they they sought direction from the Lord, and He led them to start first stone in nineteen seventy six
0: well, very good um I love the the whole concept about not casting stones. I think that's it's a wonderful name for the ministry, and so I didn't put that together until last night when you were telling me. So Laura, we're going to start with you. And we're super excited to have all three of you, and we're super excited to hear your story. And um, so years ago, you uh, was facing some identity issues, and so you, you transitioned into um, a male, and you took the testosterone, and you had, uh, and of course I discussed this with you beforehand, and of course you gave me permission, uh, you had um, your breast removed and you had um, a hysterectomy and then you, of course, took testosterone and you had all the legal changes, uh, but you didn't have a 100% sex change because of the finances. Well, thank God you didn't have all the money. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're very thankful for yeah, that. Yeah, I'm very so, thankful for that. Yeah, so. and so um, so kind of tell us, you, do we have any pictures of Laura? So Laura, if you kind of start from day one and your struggle and and kind of explain what happened here and how the Lord brought redemption into your life.
1: Yeah, I really, um, you know, when I went into that lifestyle, I was 25 years old and I would have told you that I was born that way, that I had always felt that way. And I could remember as a very young child having those feelings and I was absolutely convinced it's who I was. And by the time I embraced it, it was like, if you didn't affirm me, then I wanted you out of my life. Um, but I look back now as the Lord has healed me now that I've come out of it, I can see some of the things in childhood, some of the lies I believed. Um, I didn't have a very good relationship with my mom for a lot of reasons and I don't blame her at all. I, and I always want to emphasize that to parents. We already have so much guilt, you know, but the enemy um, can come in and bring little lies and I, I just believed that my mom didn't love me as much. Um, she had lost two boys between my brother and I due to miscarriage. And I, I really believed that she had wished I'd been one of them instead because she was so much closer to my older brother. Um, and then that I sort of had that lens on my life. So every little thing that would happen reinforced that. And the enemy would come along and say, see, she doesn't love you. And it was just like it was getting reinforced all the time. And I remember holding on to so much bitterness. I, a lot of times I felt um, ignored. She was very, very busy. And so it was always like, just go away. Just leave me alone right now. And I would... Uh, to try and get attention, I would try to drum up as much bitterness and anger as I could, all this emotion so that she would notice. And So um, I didn't realize how much damage I was doing to my soul through this bitterness. And the Lord highlighted this to me recently. In Hebrews twelve fifteen and 16, it says, Looking diligently, lest any man fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person such as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And that's kind of what had happened to me as I, I was bitter and resentful and angry and all these things began to fester in my soul and uh, was full of unforgiveness and I began to be bitter at her. I was bitter against other members of my family. I was bitter against the church. Um, and it was like the, the more that I tried to fix this in my own ways, I was trying to act like a boy and I was trying these other ways to fix this, um, then I would... I. I thought everybody else was rejecting me because I was awkward around the girls. I didn't know how to relate to the girls, so I thought the girls were rejecting me. I look back, it was my own awkwardness and my own, um, because I was trying to be somebody I wasn't, but then I I started um, hiding deep, dark secrets. I was molested when I was eight, and then I started messing around with my other friends. I became very sexual, and so I had this sort of secret life that I was living, and I wasn't telling anybody, and so I was full of just Um, secrets and bitterness and i was going to church i was looking the part i I don't know how many times i had dedicated my life to jesus i'd said the prayers but it never changed my heart because i never really submitted myself to god i never really like i believed it intellectually you know but i never it i never let it change my heart because um, i never surrendered myself to him it was always just this head knowledge i had Um, But when I was 25, after many years of sexual brokenness, um, I had, in high school, was just given guys everything they wanted, and I thought that I would find happiness through these other men, sort of living vicariously through them. Um, But it was just never working, and the more I was just dumped and rejected and treated just like trash over and over and over and over again, I finally thought, you know, if I I was the man, like, this is the problem, this is the reason these relationships never work out is because I was supposed to be the man. If I was the man then, you know, I would know how to treat a woman properly. You know, like everything that I wanted from men, it was like um, if I couldn't get that from them, then I had to become that. And so uh, that's when I started down that road. But really, I, I went to this support group, and uh, they told me, oh, you are definitely transgender, you know, within like five minutes of meeting me. And it was like at that moment is really when, when I began to believe that lie and believe it's who I was, it was like... I believed it. it had always been that way, and I'd always, you know, that's who I was intended to be, and so as I went down that ro- route and had all the legal changes, I began to take the hormones, my, I began to grow facial hair, my voice began to get a lot lower, and it, it seemed real at first, but after a while, I realized that everything I was doing was fake, but it was like, well, will it be one, it'll be real one day, so I kept pursuing that, and every little thing, I kept kind of questioning but it was like, one day this is going to be real. And I finally, it was like you get to a point where you feel like it's too late to go back. And I didn't want to be a girl, so I kept pursuing it. I kept hoping. But even after my, uh, my chest surgery that I thought, you know, it was going to make me legally male. And I thought it was like the pinnacle of everything I ever wanted. And I was depressed because I realized that it hadn't made me a man. Even though I liked the physical results and I liked the affirmation I had. Everybody was calling me Jake. Everybody was affirming this. And I kept changing jobs the more I would pass as a male but I kept getting more and more and more depressed. And I finally, after my, um, I had all the female organs removed, I, I thought that was gonna make me a man because now I had no part that was female, but that still didn't make me a man. And when I started looking at the, the final surgeries, not only could I not afford it, um, but I realized that they were, um, they're just horrific. I mean, they really are such a fake, offer. I mean, they're, it's not ever gonna be real. And on top of that, there were all kinds of problems. There's many complications people can have. And so I, I just began to get really, really depressed. Uh, my my legal name at the time was Jacob Nathan Perry. Uh, I went by Jake. But, you know, even in that, like, I, I liked that for a while, but I realized it wasn't fixing the problem. And But the Lord had been pursuing me all this time. I finally got to a place where I realized it was never going to be real Even if I'd had that surgery, I realized that it was going to be fake, and I was just so depressed, and there was no way I wanted to be a woman, but the Lord had been pursuing me that whole time. I mean, I was in in high school. I was praying to Satan at times, asking Satan to keep people from coming to know Jesus because I hated Christians, and I hated God, and I wanted nothing. I told God I'd never serve him again, but he had been encountering me and pursuing me. I had a, a radical experience one day where the Lord just showed up and encountered me in my car, you know, out of the blue. And he began to draw me back into himself. And really, it was, you know, after all these years of uh, hating and being so bitter at my mother, um, she had asked me to make a website for her Bible study. And I didn't realize how much my mom had been changing. And over the next few months as we talked and I worked on her website and I began to read her lessons to summarize for the website, I realized how much my mom had been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit because no longer was it just a religion. She wasn't just checking the boxes anymore. All of a sudden, she had a real relationship with Christ. He had been transforming her. And when I saw the change in my mother, it was like, I knew the gospel was true. And I, I gave my heart to Christ, and I was on fire, and I was going to be a man of God. <laughs> but I, was, I was really serious. Though. I was very zealous for the Lord. He really transformed my heart. He encountered me. He didn't, you know, it wasn't like I had to clean myself up for him. Um, he saved me right where I was at, but he didn't leave me there. And I was convicted about the life that I was living. But I kept, you know, I kept going down that road. I kept thinking that, um, you know, I'm sorry for what I did. I knew this wasn't your will, but I have to do this, you know. But he began to pursue me, and he began to transform my heart, and he began to um, send his word. There's a one of my life verses, is Psalm 107.20. He says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. And that's what he began to do is he sent his word to me and delivered me. And um, eventually, I found myself in this. uh, He asked me one night, he said, if you stood before me tonight, what name would I call? I said, oh, God, that is not fair. (laughs) You know, I'm sorry I've done this, but I have no way out. Like, I've made all these permanent changes. I've had all these surgeries, all these legal changes. There's nothing I can do now. Yeah.
0: You got saved saved and born again, Mm -hmm. and you wanted to become a man of God.
1: Yeah. yeah so,
0: so you felt convicted, but you felt like you couldn't do anything about it. Yeah. So you were just going to be a man of God.
1: Yeah, I really felt like that was the best I could do. I didn't see any way out. And I really felt like that, I was trapped in that for the rest of my life. But when he asked me that that night, um, he reminded me of John chapter 1 where it says, Jesus Christ himself is the creator. He said, you can't claim to love me and yet reject my creation. But in the most loving voice, I thought I was being condemned, honestly, because I I didn't see, I couldn't even conceive of me living as a girl again. But in the most loving voice I've ever heard in all my life, he whispered to me and he said, let me tell you who you are. And that's really what began to free me because I realized that God, um, no matter what I did, God had created me with a plan and a purpose with an identity that was never going to be anything other than who he created. But there was this hope that, and I didn't want to be a girl. I did not leave this lifestyle, like, excited to be a girl again. But uh, I saw myself in this deep, dark pit I couldn't get out of. I begged and begged for almost two months for the Lord to take my life because I saw no way out, and I knew I couldn't live that way anymore. And it reminded me of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26, where he says, If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his own soul for shall he give in exchange for his soul? And I knew the Lord was asking me to just walk away from everything. And he, I had a clear vision of him getting down on one knee. He reached his hand down in this pit I was in and he said, do you trust me? And he asked me to just walk away from it all. And it was the scariest, hardest thing I've ever done. And I cried and I grieved and I grieved. I thought I was going to be miserable the rest of my life, honestly. <laughs> I had no clue the redemption that he was going to bring to my life but he has so set me free and he has restored and redeemed my life far beyond anything i could have ever imagined satan was trying to get me to settle for such a cheap counterfeit of what the lord had for me and i can promise you that the life that he offers you um if you're struggling and you know there's so many of us, that we'll settle for what we want in the flesh. But what God has for us, if we will walk by the Spirit in newness of life through the power of Jesus Christ, is so much greater than anything I could have ever had.
0: Share, share the Scripture with the church about the Scripture you shared with me concerning about your struggle about going back to being a woman, and the Lord gave you a scripture?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So I I didn't know what I was going to do about, you know, not having these body parts anymore. And uh, this one I don't have exactly memorized, but Jesus basically said, you know, if your eye offends you, then pluck it out, or if your, your hand causes you to steal, then cut it off. And it says, uh, it is better for you to enter heaven maimed than um, for your whole body to be cast into hell. And the Lord continually reminds me that even though I've had a lot of... And I have all kinds of consequences, and there's been things wrong in my body. I don't know what's related to all that and what was just other health problems. Um, But I've struggled physically my whole life. But then on top of this, don't have body parts. But the Lord reminds me that um, we will... We are promised that if we are in Christ, if we are truly born again, we are promised the redemption of our body. We will have a new, glorified body.
0: Wow! So, tell us about the first. Tell us about the first time that you went to buy clothes when, when the Lord convicted you to go back to your original state. So you had to make some changes, and one of the first things that you did was you went and bought some clothes.
1: Yeah, this was one of the hardest things I'd ever done. Um, I, Right before I moved home with my mom and dad, I decided that I was going to go shopping for some girls' clothes. And I really was trying. I was really so in love with Jesus, and I wanted to do what he was asking. Um, and I went to the store, and I remember, I, I mean, I had lived this life almost nine years and I had come. I did I wasn't even openly transgender. I really wanted to erase the existence of Laura. So for me to going back, be going back was not even ever on my radar. This is not something I wanted to do, except to follow Christ. And so I'm standing in the women's section, and I'm looking at clothes, and everybody's staring at me because I had a real. I'd shaved for the first time in years, and I had this huge shadow. Um, I had no breasts. I had really short hair, and everybody's just staring at me. And I wanted to scream at them at one point. I'm like. I'm supposed to be in this section. I really am a woman. And I couldn't believe I said it, honestly. And that just the emotion that came from that. And I burst into tears and I ran into the dressing room and I started sobbing. And I tried on this dress and I remember and I could see all this chest hair sticking out and no breasts and I thought, this is hideous, honestly. And I just, I cried and cried. And I've, I finally quit crying long enough to buy the whatever I was, uh, um, a shirt and a skirt. And then I went uh, to my car, and I literally cried for 20 minutes. I cried so hard I couldn't even drive home. Um, But there was, you know, as the Lord let me grieve, and I was dying to this, I didn't realize that I really was dying to self. But as I was letting go of this, and as I was grieving, um, the Lord comforted me. And I I really, one of my favorite pictures is Jesus carrying the lamb over his shoulders. Um, That's really what it was like. I can't explain on this earth how I had the strength, to come out of that lifestyle other than it was like one little step at a time as Jesus would put things on my heart and he would ask me this little thing, and we call it in our ministry, little yeses. You know, just this this is what the Lord asked He didn't give me the whole plan of what he wanted for the next 10 years of my life. He said, I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And it was all about just following him, and he carried me home.
0: So, Laura, were you raised in church? I mean, did you have a religious experience at all? I mean... How did you come to know Jesus? Because obviously from your testimony, there seems to be um, church lingo and, and experience. So tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, I was raised in a very legalistic kind of church. Um, and in fact, there was, um, for whatever reason, I, um, there was an extreme reaction against the Holy Spirit because of fear. And they did not, intentionally did not ever teach about the Holy Spirit. And this was a dead, dead church. And I remember there being, the church was just full of so much bitterness and so much, there was just a lot going on and everybody trying to keep up the perfect image, but we were all a mess, you know, but nobody knew that. So I had a very legalistic upbringing. So I knew the word to a degree. We were in Bible drill. We were in every little program that was available. um, But I didn't know the Lord. And when I was 13, I went to summer camp and I dedicated my life to be a missionary. I knew I was called. By God. So I had some knowledge of God, but I had no relationship with Him. And I was not truly, I was never transformed. But when I truly surrendered my life to Him and I wanted Him more than I wanted um, anything else, that's when my life began to change. Did you, have
0: a to start did you always struggle with the identity issues? Did you always struggle with it? Yeah. Even, even at church camp and going to church, did you always want to become a man?
1: I did but it was it was different back then because, you know, it wasn't popular in the culture and I'd never heard the word transgender. I'd heard of drag queens or, you know, people that cross dressed a little bit, but really had would not heard a whole lot about that even. I was pretty sheltered. Um but I really had no concept of of me changing. It was like that's all I was jealous of boys, I wanted to be a boy, I fantasized it about and I lived vicariously through video games a lot. I'd play video games with a boy character. You know, where I'd write stories about me being a boy. But I didn't, I'd never known that people actually changed. So what's
0: your earliest memory of you struggling with that? How old were you?
1: When I was five, um, I had been, um, I had noticed that my mom was much closer to my brother. And I was very jealous of that relationship. I was really close to my dad. But I wanted to be close with my mom too. And um, I'd heard, they were telling me about these two boys that were miscarried between my brother and I and i said hey if we if if my brothers had lived, we'd have five kids instead of three and they said, uh, no, we only wanted three kids if one of them had lived, you wouldn't be here and I think that they really meant that as a blessing, but to me, it was like this survivor's guilt or uh, like in my head, it was like God killed my brothers, you know, so that I could be here and then mom wishes i would I really believe that she would have wanted me to be a boy instead, and so it was like this uh this started this anger and this um like, I was supposed to be a boy. So
0: so even though you were struggling with this at an early age, do you think that there was anything in your environment that kind of fed the desire to be a male? Is there anything that would nurture that desire? Like, for instance, you said the relationship with your mother is a contributing factor. Yeah. But would you – anything else? Was porn involved? Was anything else –
1: yeah, I, I didn't get into porn real early, but um, but I was molested when I was eight, and then through sexual interaction with other kids, and it just brought a lot of confusion and distortion, but even as a young child, um, I, I spent all my time with my dad and my brother, and then when I went to school, I didn't fit in with the girls very well, and so I was always playing with the boys, and uh, like a lot of times... You know, we'd play football, and um, which is supposed to be, you know, a very male sport. But a lot of times I was chosen before more than half the guys um, when they'd pick teams. And I remember thinking, like, I, I just felt like I fit in so much more with the boys.
0: So what's your perspective about, I know the Methodist Church is getting ready to split at their conference in 2022. And I know the Episcopal Church and... Uh, Uh, The Church of Christ, there's a sect of the Church of Christ. Many denominations are uh, becoming very progressive in their views of Christianity and accepting of LGBTQ+. And so what is your perspective about that? And why do you think there is such a, um, a steering away from traditional marriage and traditional views of manhood and womanhood? So what's your view about What's going on in those churches?
1: I think it's really rooted in unbelief. They don't believe in the power of Christ. They've bought the lie that it's who they are. They've bought the lie from psychology that it's who they are, this lie of orientation. Um, and honestly, there's no fear of God in there. But I was, gonna, I was just thinking when you asked me that, I was going to ask these guys over here at Teen Challenge, do you wish that anybody would have just coddled you and left you addicted to drugs? No, oh, You're grateful that somebody helped you out of that, right? It's the same thing, like, I, I, I get angry, I mean, not angry at people, but like, you know, I want the church to understand that we, people that live in that lifestyle, it looks glamorous, people will tell you how happy they are. There were times that I was happy, you know, I was happier than I had been before being rejected all the time, but I was really not happy, you know, I was, um, it really was this internal hell. I had to reinvent my life all the time, for example. Um, like people would be asking me, um, or I'd be telling a story about childhood and all of a sudden it was like, wait a minute, I couldn't have been in Girl Scouts. I had to have been in Boy Scouts. You know, I, I couldn't have played softball. It had to have been baseball and I was caught in lies constantly. And I remember one time, um, I, I found out that an ex-boyfriend was getting married to this girl and there was this whole drama. And anyway, I started telling my boss about this. I'm supposedly... A straight man she doesn't even know I'm trans and I am supposedly married to this woman and so I start talking about this sex boyfriend and her eyes are just getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and she's like Jake do you swing both ways and I was like "What?" you know caught me so off guard but that was a reality I lived in all the time and it began to torment me and I was constantly afraid I couldn't even have a normal conversation with someone because the whole time I was thinking do they believe me do they know I'm trans do they think I'm a man and it, it really became an internal hell.
0: Did you have any relationships when you, when you transitioned to a man? Did you have any relationships? Did you live with a partner? Or?
1: Yeah, I lived a, um, my partner was, um, we lived together for about eight of the nine years. And he was a man that was living as a woman. So we were both trans and a lot of people say it's confusing, and I, you know, but at the same time, it was like we were, um, we comforted each other a lot because that journey is really hard. You know, people don't realize the the hell that that lifestyle really is. We used to say we wouldn't wish it on our worst enemy. You know, even though we, we thought we were happier than we were before, it really was a nightmare in a lot of ways, but we were, it, it kind of gave us comfort for one another, but God used it because he was like a mirror to me. I could see the truth in him that I couldn't see in myself.
0: So recently, um, this was on national news, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but Miss Nevada was the first trans woman to win the pageant. I think she's going on to Miss Universe, right? Yeah. Is that correct?
1: Uh, I'm not sure. I think, I don't know if they have to go to Miss USA first, but, yeah, I mean, we can look at. Maybe it was
0: Miss USA that she won. I'm oh not you sure. might be right yeah I can't remember but anyways so she's had the complete sex change yeah. and uh, you know from the outside you would never assume that right. she was ever a man you know um, because she's done everything and and uh, so what would you say like what is the success rate of people who have a full sex change and they're living fully as that particular person and in a relationship what is the success rate do they? is there high percentages of suicide, Mm -hmm. depression? I mean, from the outside, this Miss Nevada, she looks like she has it all together. I mean, she said that she had $1.2 million and she's getting all these offers and and she's paving the way for trans people, you know? So what is the hard truth behind people who fully make this change? Are they, do they have a desire to go back? Do they realize they made a mistake? Or what's, what's your experience in that lifestyle and in that world?
1: Yeah, um, that's something that's not talked about a lot. The regret rates are extremely high. There's been various studies, and not all of them agree. I mean, you know, statistics are not 100%, but I can tell you there, there was a study done in Sweden years ago, and Sweden is a very progressive, very LGBT-friendly country and very accepting of trans people, and they found that the suicide rates... Um, were about the same after surgery as they were before, and it was about 40% um, that attempt suicide. And um, I can tell you the surgeries never fixed the problem. I remember just the devastation of realizing that it hadn't ever made me a man. It didn't take away all the pain and brokenness. It didn't take away the hurt that I had, the way I'd been treated. Um, And Walt Heyer, um, that is also, I don't know if anybody's seen in his image Um, that the American Family Association put out. But it was a documentary that my story was featured in, also features Walt Heyer. Um, He runs a website called sexchangeregret.com, and he has had thousands upon thousands upon thousands reach out to him. Uh, I think at one point he had, just in the, was it the first year or second year, he had over 100,000 come to the website um he said and he's there's a book called trans life survivors if you want some insight into some of and not all of them in this book came to christ um but this is just people that have regretted and i think there are 30 stories in there of people with regret and they all say the same thing or about the same thing that no matter what they did it was never real
0: so laura how long has it been since you made the transition back to be in a woman. How long ago has it uh, been? It's
1: been almost exactly five years. I think next week will be my five-year anniversary. Five years. So.
0: <laughs> so we discussed this last night, but um, so do you have any plans on getting married? And what is your journey like being single and trying to navigate through all of that? Because I'm sure it's an adjustment and a different way of thinking.
1: Yeah, it's been hard because I, you know, I didn't want to leave my partner. That's one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and I really, I, I wanted to get married. I I really, um, I struggled when I first came out. I didn't know how to be single. I'd had somebody almost all my life because um, when I was very little, I had this boy that I called my boyfriend from when we were three till we were 12. We called each other boyfriend and girlfriend. All of my formative years, I had that as like part of my identity. And, uh... So anyway, I I had never been secure in being single. And last year, the Lord was, and I, I don't know, I would love to get married one day. I mean, I don't know. I've wrestled back and forth. I, but um, he reminded me of the verse that says, thy maker will be thy husband. And I, I'm open to getting married. But at the same time, for the first time in my life, the Lord has made me secure in who I am. And I don't, I don't need that anymore um, to be secure. So that's been a very, very hard journey for me.
0: Thank you, Laura. Very, very good. Amen. So, Jim. Jim. So, Jim and Joseph, you're also part of the First Stone Ministries, and uh, you kind of travel with Laura do you travel with Laura sometimes
2: well Uh, typically we we travel as staff staff okay so so there's there's six of us all together okay Um, Stephen Black is our executive director Laura Lee Stanlake is our director women's ministries and then Joseph is our office administrator I'm the men's minister Um, Laura is the women's minister intern and then we have Aaron Gerard who is our men's minister intern
0: okay so Jim, tell us uh, you have a you have a different story, but mm-hmm. a story of redemption as well. Absolutely. And you lived a homosexual life. Yes. And tell us your journey, um, and then also your redemp- redemption. Yeah. Uh, from that lifestyle. Do we have any pictures of you, Jim?
2: There's one, and that's yeah. It's a, a picture off my phone, so that it looks kind of. But but in that picture you don't see him but uh the the only guy that i was in a long term relationship with was sitting next to me and that picture is in my ex-wife's house and you know can you i don't know if you can tell how happy i am but um
0: so you're in your ex-wife's house yes with your partner yes okay so you'll have to yeah explain yeah explain
2: all this <laughs> yeah it's a long story Um, <laughs> uh, so um I grew up in an environment where both my parents were really disconnected from broken backgrounds themselves. And at some point my dad sort of walked away from me in terms of uh, um, most men that have sons, they pour into their sons, they teach them what they know, they mentor them, they show them how to be a man, whatever. My dad was never present for any of that. Um, And when I was eight... Uh, we lived on Guam, and my dad took me to work with them and to keep me busy. He gave me a pornographic comic book and From there, I found the rest of his pornography and I had already been molested by this point in time, so it just continued to fuel this abnormal curiosity and experimentation um, and Literally, there was no babysitter that was safe um, and so that also male and female it 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 just it was sexual experimentation. Um, But that really poured into a distorted chaotic uh, understanding of human relating and sexuality and um, by the time that I was 12 I had reasoned that I must be gay because I kept experiencing this stuff with um, grown men and that can so I did an inventory um, about a year after I came out of homosexuality and the number of my abusers were greater than thirty-four from the age of six, round six to the age of uh, fourteen. So
0: you were mol- you were molested as a as
2: grossly a, molested.
0: And he was thirty-four.
2: No, I had over thirty-four people that 34 were involved people. in my molestation, sexual abuse, and unfortunately, my parents are part of that equation. And um, you, you know, said with the, your your parents, right? Were part. So the exposure to the exposure to pornography—that's abuse. Um, and, and then my mom, the, my parents' marriage was broken and my mom kind of pulled me in as her confidant and shared, shared with me details of her sexual relationship with my father, which you should never do. That is abuse as well. It's not, it's not deliberate abuse, but it's still abuse. And so I there was a lot of distortion. I became the, as a kid, I became the person that was responsible for my mother's happiness. And, you know, it, it's codependency, emotional dependency, just to put the the, the term to it, what that r- really is. But, so by the time I was 15 years old, I had zero identity except what I had been given me through the sexual experiences and the exposure to pornography. And um, I got, I Uh, The Lord, in his graciousness, brought a woman into my life when I was 18, and I boasted to her about my homosexuality, and she shared the gospel. And it was kind, and it was tenderhearted, and it was pleasant and loving. And, um, And I went home that night feeling a sensation inside my chest. I knew something had happened, but I couldn't figure out what it was and um shortly thereafter our 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 executive director stephen black my mom and dad were friends with his mom and dad before i ever knew him so talk about god's providence in my life um but but he he began to come into my life and 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 continue to water with the word and his own testimony of coming out of homosexuality and eventually that brought me to receiving jesus as lord and savior but I did not, so just as she quoted from Matthew, Matthew 10, 39, Jesus says the same thing, he who lays his life down for my sake, the same will find it. I did not, that was not an act of laying my life down to find him. I just did did what, what was the thing to do in my head and in my heart. I, I was sincere about it. Um, and uh, there was a girl in my life at the time, and there was a baby, and So almost immediately, I began hearing, if this is your baby, you need to raise, you need to marry the girl and raise your family. And so I just did what I was told to do. There was was no thought process around that, like, well, shouldn't we get, you know, marriage counseling? And, you know, am I capable of being a dad and a husband? I just did what I was told to do. And so I married a woman that I wasn't in love with and I wasn't attracted to, but I loved. She was my friend. And so we were in a marriage relationship for three years, and it was a disaster um, because she was in love with me, but she wasn't. I I, was con- consi- I I began to act out during our marriage because I wasn't actually dealing with trauma from the abuse, all the, all the brokenness from the abuse, and it, it violated that covenant and she got very wounded, and we we ended up splitting up um, in 1987. We had made it an agreement that she was coming to Oklahoma City. We were in Texas, by the way. She came to Oklahoma City to get counseling with our pastor there, and I went to the pastor of the church that we were going to there in Texas, and I heard the same thing from this pastor that the Rogers had heard. There's nothing I can do for you. I can't help you. And... And so I'm left with this idea that I'm stuck with this. And then to fathom the idea of continuing on in a marriage the same way we had been for the last three years, there was no way that that I could fathom continuing on. And so I told her I want a divorce. And um, we had two children by that time. And so we split up, and she went into lesbianism, and I went back into homosexuality. And... Um, and so I, I continued on in homosexuality from about probably 88 to 90, 1999. Um, but in all that time, I knew that homosexuality was wrong. There was not one time that I thought it was okay. And I ha- even had a friend that tried to talk to me, convince me, to, uh, that I could be gay and Christian and it was a very offensive thought in my heart when I considered it. Um, so I, I did not go down that route. Um, and God, in his mercy, as, as I really began to yearn for freedom, uh, because you really do become a slave um, when you're overcome by the thing, by, by your own brokenness. And um, um, the Lord began to bring people into my life that, that mirrored his presence And mirrored the truth and loved me where I was at and um, I had an encounter one night at the restaurant where I worked where um, I won't go into the details of it but I had a complete stranger lady look at me and say you're gonna think I'm crazy but God wants to talk to you and um, he's trying to get your attention and he wants to talk to you a father wants to talk to his child and I just about lost it you know you're not crazy um, and I had her write it down for me, and um, I keep it in my Bible. I have it laminated, and um, but it's a reminder that the God of all creation was calling my name, and that's what it says. The God of all creation is calling your name, and it's a serious matter, is what she wrote. It's a serious matter, and I knew that it was. But I'm just like Laura, I didn't know. I didn't know how to get free. I didn't have a dad that pursued me and loved me and nurtured me and told me how wonderful I was. The the men that abused me were the ones that told me that, and and so the 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 prospect of God the God the Father is trying is calling your name and He wants to talk to you. He, a father wants to talk to his child, and I I had no concept of what that meant. Why is He pursuing me? Why do I have value? You know, but. But I, I continued to be more and more miserable. And then from 96 to 99, I tried, very, I tried to get free. And I would cut out all the behavior, but I didn't, I didn't deal with the heart. And, um, and I would end up going back. And all my coworkers would say, well, Jim goes through this every six months. And um, eventually the Lord, in, in his wooing me and drawing me, really brought me to that place where I said, I, I can't do this anymore. And I said, if it kills me, I'm going to follow you because I can't live like this. And in and, and three years of not being able to get free in my own strength, in that moment of truly laying my life down and saying, you're the Lord, and I'll, I'll obey you and follow you all the, all the days of my life, in 24 hours I knew something was different. I, I, folks, I, yeah, I mean, it's all him, right? It's all him. Um, and it's like, he was like, okay, now we can go somewhere. But the relationships I had in my life at the time, I, I I drank almost every night. We partied all the time. We all smoked the same cigarettes. I mean, it was, you know, it was a lifestyle and these people would come by my house and say, Hey, let's go. We're going to go to the bar. Let's go. I'm like, no, for the first time I could say, that's not who I am. That is not that is not the life I live anymore, and 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 the Lord took me on this journey of rediscovering my masculinity and the and the things that were good about me and revealing how I had and we are all created heterosexual. I only struggled with homosexual sin, and that changes the the, the perspective. It changes the landscape of this battle because it's no longer something that's all encompassing. Um as living as a gay man, most of what you'll see is they they wear it like a garment. So your hair is gay, your clothes are gay, your cigarettes are gay, the drink you're drinking is gay, your shoes are gay. I mean, it really is like that. And, um, And then realizing it's this little thing over here that Jesus, one drop of Jesus' blood can change that, right? And realizing who i am and how i've been made and now here i am i i know who i am and i'm walking in freedom and it doesn't and it's not a perfect picture you know i still deal with self-hatred i still deal with self-loathing my coworkers will tell you that that is a battle that i fight because i grew up with that i grew up in an environment where everything i did was wrong and nothing i did was right and I heard that. I heard that from my father. What's wrong with you? Why can't you do anything right? Why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? And it became a inner dialogue with myself. What's wrong with me? Why can't I do anything right? Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Um, and learning that that I, I that Bible that I have, I have to speak that truth. That is what God says over me, not what they what I've heard in my my heart over my deficiencies.
0: Good, Jim. I read a book one time and said that. Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa may be in your bones. Yeah. <laughs> so just because Jesus is in our heart don't mean that we don't have to still struggle with issues. That's it's, right. It's called, the, it's called sanctification. You know? well, and, and, so, and
2: there's there's this narrative and, and all of you in some form or other are, have probably already heard this but the lgbtq community they paint this picture that if you don't have immediate 100% deliverance then it's not real and it's not possible and and my thing is it's like okay hold on just a minute you spent years pouring into this broken identity what makes you think that for a moment that you're instantly going to act be free of all of that because you have to learn the one the one thing that god did for me that was so significant in coming out of homosexuality was was how how i would i would listen for him and he revealed the truth to me about all the lies that i had believed about myself and about who I was. And when, I, and when that was revealed to me, I would hear him speak audibly to me. I did not create you with those thoughts. This is what I would hear and speak to me. And I would like, that's right. In the name of Jesus, I don't receive this. I renounce this in the name of Jesus, you know, and boom, like that. that I, had, I had victory, and the enemy would shut up. And that, that taught me, that taught me, ah, this has been going on for a long time. So it, it's a matter of walking in the truth. You can't do it one time for all. You have to do it every single day, every single moment.
0: Amen. Because salvation is not only an experience. You're saved. You're being saved. That's exactly right. And That's you right. shall be saved. That's right. You know. And yeah. so we we as Pentecostals always think it's a, a crisis experience. Right. Yeah, 1972. I come to the altar and got saved. You know, well, that's that's good. But some people don't remember when they got saved. Yeah. So sanctification is a process. It's a growth issue. That's right. I am being saved as I speak. Yeah. You know, very good. Amen. We appreciate. We thank God for a redemption. Amen. Amen. We praise God for what God's done in your life, Jim.
2: Yeah, I do too.
0: I appreciate the boldness and the authority. Now, Jim, quickly, what would you say to parents or people who are struggling with this sin or parents who are struggling with their children or family members? Because I think that the church has done an injustice. We don't talk about stuff like this, Mm. trans or homosexuality. We don't talk about stuff like this because, you know, people are either too homophobic, you know, or they're too, they just don't, they're uncomfortable. We don't deal with stuff like this. How do you, how do we as a church... Properly deal with this issue and at the same time be a church that is the hands and feet of Jesus
2: right so I I lead our parents friends and family support group and um, so what I have not mentioned which is real important my youngest she's 35 years old she has a 15 year old daughter I'm a grandpa um She's gay-identified, and she lives with my ex. And um, so, what I what I come to the table with for our parents is that I'm the representation of what they're hoping and yearning for in the lives of their children. But I can come alongside them in their grief and their pain because I understand it. Um, in dealing with parents. Um, there's 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 such a, a plethora of things that the parents come to the table with. Namely they feel responsible. One of the first things that they that they respond with when they, when their child comes out to them or um you know, something along that landscape. Where did I fail? It's my fault. I did something wrong. And this this immeasurable guilt that they come under. Um, and So we have to we have to continually Reiterate the truth your child has been making these choices on their own It is not your fault that they're making them and and you know um, Even even my daughter my daughter says oh, to me and the Lord's doing the work in her He's drawn her to me in ways. I'd never fathom, but I've been praying for for years and she says, Dad, I want to be a better mom to Emma than I than mom was to me. And I had to, to tell her, Becky, your mom did the best that she could with everything that she had. And you have to remember that. That she might not have come to the table equipped to be the best mom that she could be, but you have to give her grace. Um, so you have the aspect of the guilt. And then you have... You have the, the, it's hard for parents to let go and let God, just like in your testimony, your mom tried to fix you, right? So the, the temptation is if I can just do this one thing or say this one thing or if I write this one letter or if I just, you know, point into this one video or give them a DVD, I'm going to make everything better and then I am off the hook. And it's like the whole time I'm telling them, God is not up there waiting for you to do something so then he'll move in the life of your child. He only wants you to move out of the way. Let him have them. Let him have them. You can't change them, but he can. And that is probably the worst temptation that most of these parents have is that they are constantly laboring under what else can I do, what else can I say. So, so what we encourage all the parents to do is... You surrender to that. You, you surrender and yield to that in your own life. Stop focusing on your child. Put them in the hands of Jesus and focus on your own walk with them because because your life is actually the written epistle that your child will read. And as they see God moving, this is one of the things. My daughter, she stopped talking to me several years ago because i i am a representation of what brings guilt into her own heart because she knows that it's sin and last year out of the blue um she calls me and says dad i want relationship i've never had a relationship with this child but she was a pray for baby i asked god for her and he gave her to me and um and then pouring out her heart you know, all my relationships have been bad, and I'm thinking, I know they were. Um, so rather than tell her or harp on her or, you know, read the scripture to her or tell her about this movie or whatever, I just tell her about my life. I just live my life openly before her, and I share with her what Jesus is doing in me. And... And, and let the father draw her because really her coming to me for a relationship is because she he is drawing her. And so I continually point her to him. I continually point her to him. And when she does and she will, when she does come to me and say, Dad, I want to be free like you are. I'm going to say I'm right here and I will walk with you every yes. step of the way to help you realize who you are in Him.
0: Very good. Amen. Thank you, Jim. Very, very good. Very good. Last but not least, Joseph. Yeah,
3: Yeah. so... Um, I... Uh, when I was... Um, man, you're a tearjerker. Uh, when I was... Uh, before I was school age, uh, my dad was working on something I was with, with my brothers and he said something um, in disgust over he was mending fence and he used the word stupid it was not directed at any of his sons but Satan caused that word to like an arrow into my mind and my heart and from that point on I believed I was stupid and and it planted an offense in my heart toward my dad um and so everything that matched like laura perry said everything went through that kind of a lens and just made my relationship with my dad like all the worse and my self-esteem as well um also as a teenager um one of the big things big it was memorable um Being raised on the farm, I I didn't have strength to do a lot of the things that my brothers could do. Um, You know, tightening a bolt strong enough to keep it on an implement, you know, for hours of you know pulling an implement behind a tractor, I just couldn't do that. So I'd have my brother would my brothers would uh, do that part, and I just didn't understand why I couldn't. Um, And I'm gonna. Fast forward, I was raised in the church. I grew up Mennonite. My dad had an encounter with the Holy Spirit when I was around 9 or 10 years old. And we went to a Pentecostal Holiness Church, which was great for all of us. And it was in that framework that I really gravitated toward the Lord. And I gave my life to the Lord at, at a young age. But I had also found, at that same time, I had found my brother's pornography and I kept it a secret, and I began began to just be have a pornography addiction, and kept that all hidden. Um, so two things going on at the same time: a a growing profound love relationship. I loved the worship that I that I learned in that setting, but secretly, were you know hating my dad. Not secretly, secretly working on pornography, openly hating my dad. Um, fast forward a number of years. Um, because of my struggle, I was really um, tormented. Um, and the Lord gave me a promise out of Ezekiel 36. I don't have it memorized, but basically God says he will take the heart of stone out of you and he will give you a heart of flesh he will cause he'll put his spirit in you and cause you to walk in his statutes i'm like how are you responsible for that like i thought i was responsible for everything so but i was like it was a promise and i'm like okay the lord made it really clear he's going to do something um and it was sometime after that that i opened up to the youth pastor in my church about my struggles i got prayer in my setting, they didn't know how to disciple me. All they knew is the power of prayer and, you know, binding a spirit of confusion. But that was all I got. And I don't know, that it, I don't know if I could have received more, but that's all I got, and I don't think that was great. <laughs> I felt like they should have pastored me better and helped me, but I, I don't hold offense in my heart. Just an observation
0: all they did was just pray for you yeah it's,
3: it's bound the spirit and the lord did something in me truly he that spirit of confusion left and i felt free but i was still dealing with my addiction and uh, and i didn't know what caused the addiction i didn't know what was driving it and feeding it um fast forward in a number of years uh, i was sharing with with Brandon last night, I won't go into the, all of the details, but that scripture promise in Ezekiel 36 began to open before me. Um, I don't share this a lot in my testimony, but because I'm amongst people that will understand, our youth group had an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in a revival. Two nights before that was my first meeting with First Stone Ministries. I walked in the door and I was like, I need help. I need I need to understand what's going on in my life. Why am I thinking this way? Why am I acting this way? Two nights later, the Lord designated an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I landed on the floor, and immediately I was like, you know, if we're raised in the church like that, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm on the floor, and I'm like, okay, I got to get up. (laughs) My gifting is serving. Um, And I was like, I got to get up, I need to serve you know i need to serve the youth group what are all this stuff and the holy spirit's like no you're not getting up and i'm like that's ridiculous i've got to serve you know <laughs> i don't know what i was going to do but i got to serve and the holy spirit's no you're not and i learned to i mean after a lot of mental battles of fighting and going okay i'm just it's stupid i'm staying here but the lord this this harkens to the story of mary and martha I, in my gifting, it's so natural just to serve and serve and serve and and really discount the need to sit and listen for Jesus, listen to his words. But it was in that moment the Lord was like, no, you're going to receive from me. And it was an extended revival of several months. So the Lord, simultaneously using First Stone Ministries, And our group, and that experience, the Lord was really undoing. Um, He was pouring into me. He was like, "No, you need to receive my love," and he did. There's a lot of examples in that. Um, and it was in first on. I came on first on staff of first on a year later after that, after I graduated high school. And for me, my my healing progress. One, you know, I forgave my father. I learned how to do all of that. Um it has been I don't know if it looks different. If it, it feels different. I just was like, you know, I went to my boss and was like, hey, there's technologies where we can put on our computers to keep us safe from the internet. You know, I need I need help. You know, and so we signed up to come at an eyes and because of me, I needed it. And then I started locking down my phone for a while. I had to get rid of my smartphone. I had to get a flip phone. Um, anyway, I just—all the, these things were practical helps that really helped me to stand. I think you guys understand this, but we all need it. We all need these things. It's so easy just to click and find something and fall into to lust, um, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. So. All of that's in play. In 2010, uh, I was 40 years old. I had just recently gotten um, health insurance for the first time as an adult, and I'm like, you know, I should go to the doctor and get a checkup, and um, just kind of doing an adult thing and taking responsibility. And I walked in in January, met, you know, had hadn't seen this doctor ever before and he's he had some observations and he handed me some papers you know at the end of the me, meeting, he's like i want you to read these and anything in here that you feel like applies to you i think it will be a benefit to read it oh my gosh guys my wor- my world kind of came the revelation in that meeting in the next few months rocked my world in um, about two months after that, we had a genetic test run. And uh, Sorry. I learned that my sex chromosome has an extra X in it. So, men, you're, you're XY. And women, your XX and your sex chromosome, and I have an extra X in there. And that, medically speaking, is I am an intersex person. Uh, I was really angry uh, at this new revelation. I hated it. It brought, it brought a lot of uh, frustrating realities to my world. Plus it's hard to talk about. Back then, you know, it's like you're learning this stuff. It's like, how am I gonna talk about this? <laughs> and you know, it's like there's not very many people. And I was very private. I didn't want to say anything. One of the things that this does, um, it's not it's not hereditary, you don't it's not carried on in the family, it's just random. One out of five they say maybe one out of five hundred men have it. So there, you know, there could be people in your life that have this. They may not know. Um, but when they go through puberty, their uh, testosterone drops either to nothing, no production, or limited production. And they cannot father children. Um, I have never had a desire to have a family. So that didn't rock my world. But this low testosterone thing, it's like it points back to what I said earlier, I didn't have the strength. And it's like, oh, I get it now. The other thing that this thing did for me, I've not really ever struggled with feeling like I was a woman, but I have struggled with feeling less than as a man and uh, cheated in some way, in many ways. Um, but the scripture reminds reminds us. I've um, been trying to. In Jeremiah seventeen five, um, the Lord says, "Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord." And really, in my pornography addiction, I was comparing myself to men that were stronger than me or looked different than me, and I and I envied their bodies. And truthfully, I still, I have cultivated that over my life. My physical reality is a reminder that I am different. And I, I'm, I'm always having to go, God, I, I choose you. Um, but most days, it's like, not every day, but it's a reminder that I, I'm different, but that doesn't make me less than. It's just an opportunity to submit myself before the Lord. Um, but this condition gets co-opted into the alphabet machine that the, the world has. For LGBTQ. I, my condition is in that alphabet soup. And I don't think it really belongs there. Um, it's not an identity. Um, I'm a man. I am a man in God. And I was created male and anyway
0: so joseph you didn't know you had this condition until later on in life right so you would contribute this condition because you said you didn't have any strength when you were younger yeah okay i was just making sure that i heard you correctly
3: yeah
0: uh and one out of 500 men have this
3: they're about there's different numbers that are stated uh, but yeah, that's a, that's the a big number, and and men that you, typically they, because I ask them like, how do people find out they have this? Sometimes it's if they have issues. So all all genetic disorders are on a spectrum. So you have the bell curve, and there are people that have my condition that fall, you know, on the outskirts of the bell curve, and they're they do have learning disabilities, they have issues with understanding or holding out a job and doing different things, relational skills. I am actually a high-functioning person with this condition. But it, I, I'll say so, I, I have processed my healing prior to this understanding through the lens of my brokenness, you know, with my mom and my dad and my my rebellion against them and my rebellion against the Lord, which they're those are like the primary ways to look at healing of anything. But looking at it through the lens of like, no, you have a physical deformity that is actually physically affecting you. I've struggled with um, tiredness all my life. And, you know, and he knows he's my housemate. I sleep a lot. <laughs> you know, I'm like... If I can get 9 to 10 hours a night, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy. And if I get less than that, I'm not very happy. Um, I take testosterone now, uh, daily cream. Um, but having to process my healing through that lens, it's, it's different.
0: Very good. Well, we celebrate His redemption and His story and what God has done in your life. Joseph we appreciate you. Would you give it up for Joseph? Amen. All right, the last 5 last 5 minutes, we're going to have some questions for all three of them very very quickly. So, Pastor Brandon and Pastor Sean quickly come and grab a microphone and go through the audience if if somebody has a question, please.
2: And if you have a question, just raise your hand and we will. All right. Quickly.
4: Are you going to let me hold it? It probably might not be. No. Use the microphone. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Michael. Just like a lot of people in here, uh, we have kids, okay? And so, or aspire to have kids. So, I've. Three wonderful kids. I have two boys, and I just had a daughter last year. So um, me and my son, my oldest, uh, Malachi, we love watching movies. We, I mean, since Iron Man came out, we've been watching that all the time. But now, with uh, some of the shows and with media and entertainment, they're incorporating that in there. So I wanted to ask you, like, from my heart, because I'm very protective of my children, because, and I'll just be transparent as you're transparent, just to be relative. I was molested at one time in my life when I was younger by a family member. And so, any children that are around me, I am super protective. But now, with my own kids, I am overprotective. So, I find myself losing sleep going through and their shows that they like to watch and critiquing every little thing. And like okay they're not watching that and now the more things as the years have gone on they're incorporating these types of lifestyle so I wanted to ask you all what is your suggestion not for me personally but just how to because I'm, I'm trying to keep my kids away from that I hope that I hope I'm making sense in what I'm asking
2: so um... All of you here, uh, can I get a show of hands? Who locks their doors at night? Why? Protection. That's right. So spiritually, you have a responsibility to make sure that your house is locked down. And you are the gate. You are the gate that keeps the outside world from coming in and influencing our families and yes our entertainment industry is i would venture to say mostly demonic driven right we see the enemy infiltrating our our en- entertainment industry has been has been prolific with immorality for years even before you were born even before i was born Immorality has been it's been progressively I mean like they're coming out with stuff saying now that in the cartoons just alone in cartoons that the agenda the LGBTQ agenda has been has been infiltrating cartoons since 1944 and they and they boast about it they're boasting about it Um, so so number one don't do anything without the leading of the Holy Spirit. You need. We all need the Holy Spirit to give us direction and guidance, because even Jesus said, "Be careful what you pay attention to. Be careful what you listen to." And and when we when we look at what the world is coming out with, I mean, yes, LGBTQ is infiltrating everything, absolutely everything. Nothing, I, hardly anything is safe. Um, there's alternatives, Pureflix. Um uh, angel video, I think is another uh, uh, option, but but in terms of, of being able to provide content that ministers to our children, we really we need to be the one that looks at it first and determines whether or not it's going to glorify God. It's going to uphold the authority of His word, and that it's going to direct our children to Jesus. And I think that that's a smart way for us to approach all entertainment, including music. Any more
3: questions? Joseph, did you want to? Yeah, I I wanted to add just that. And I'm not a father, right? I said that. Uh, Increasingly, I just kind of see how it's important. Really, we need to. We need to stand in who who we are. I always think about like the jewish and what they do you know they set them they are set apart and they are different and they teach their kids the way of you know their traditions now but they were called to to be different and live different and that's our example and yet do we do it are we doing it I, i mean in the landscape of my church i'm like I see a lot of people, like even my, my friends at church, like they're just watching all the movies that everybody else watches. And so it's like, and I do, I mean, I'm guilty of the same. I'm not saying I'm outside of that. But the example is to really be separate and don't ignore the, these issues with your kids. they so like, you know, Johnny down the street is doing this or your friends, like, but the Lord is calling us to do this and here's why. It, be a teacher to your kids and say, this is why we're doing, this is why we're choosing this because the Lord is, has a better way and make the Lord look appealing and attractive to them. Christine?
5: I have a question for Laura. Um, what does your mother think of you now? Surely she has to see something because you, ha- you look happy with your big smile, it's contagious, you act happy, and I just wonder if she's like really, really proud of you, or?
1: She is, that's funny, my mom is, I mean, first of all, the Lord has redeemed our relationship so much, and I, I'm, it really has been like in, I think it's in jewel too, is somewhere in Joel, where uh, the Lord says, I will restore the years the locust has eaten. So not only do we have a great relationship now, but the Lord has given me such compassion even for, because she was really transformed. In fact, it was the night that I came out as transgender that she really surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit to let him work in her life um, and really begin to let him change her. And so the Lord had kind of woven our stories together. But it was hard for me when I first came home because I still had so much anger toward the mother I grew up with. And so, um, I now had this amazing mother that was loving me and supporting me. She's been my biggest cheerleader. She lays, I mean, she does so much for me. She has killed herself trying to, um, support me and do anything she can for me. And she, uh, constantly is, um, you know, getting people to pray for me and all these things. So, um, but the Lord gave me such compassion for what she grew up under. And I realized the brokenness she had been raised in. And God's given me such compassion even for her and for other parents. Um, so we really have reconciled. And as I've let go and forgiven, and um, we've forgiven each other. Because I was a horrible teenager. I mean, I, I put through her through hell. So as the Lord has really, as we've forgiven each other, he's brought such redemption to that relationship.
5: Um, yes, actually, this is my first time here. And um, when you were speaking, I have a nine-year-old son, and I've, he's had some develop. He's got some developmental delays, and um, and I, we had did some testing about the genetics. And I, I'm not really. I haven't even. I got the results, and I wasn't even really sure about it. But it's. He's, they said something about the X chromosome. And um, because he has these the tendencies more, and and I and I don't I grew up in church and and I know it's wrong, and and I'm you know I've been struggling with how I'm supposed to deal with guiding him in the right way because he does seem fem, not really feminine, but there's also in on his father's side um, perversion, and um he just his dad just got out of prison about four years ago, or he just got he's been in prison for four years for, for, not, for um, indecent stuff with his stepdaughter, and, and so it, it feels like I just pray for him all the time because his cards are stacked against him with his learning disabilities and with the, with the perversion on his father's side, and I know that that's all the, their spirit's. But I just, it just brought to my attention when he said something about the X chromosome and just maybe I need to look into it more, figure out what, you know, what I'm supposed to do with that because I don't want him going in the wrong direction because he's starting to like peak, you know, and I know that sounds crazy, but you know, nowadays, oh, if you, if you like pink, it was a boy, you're gay or, you know, and, and I think he's getting fed this, and i'm like no you're not gay first of all he doesn't even know what you know what that actually means but he's very um not really he knows way too much and he's been exposed way too too from too young at a young age and so i don't you know i'm just I just really appreciate all of you guys um, and, and the things that you're saying because it really gives me a, a, a way to go from here and, and try to figure out where, where I need to go and uh, with what, you know, to help him because I want him to be. He's, he, he has a great heart for God. I mean, he'll like get upset and he's like, Mama, just pray for me, you know. And, and I, he's, it's like he struggles within himself and it hurts to see him in pain because he doesn't understand what's going on inside of him. So I really appreciate you
1: guys. Yeah,
3: I would, thank you. I would like to uh, caution. This genetic disorder is, is, although it's common, it's rare, and it does not cause same-sex attraction. Relational dynamics in the home cause this to happen, okay? And, and the attacks of the devil on the mind. That's what causes sexual and relational brokenness. So, I just want to be very clear about that. We cannot blame our genetics for our behavior. And we cannot, we, cannot claim our, we cannot use our genetics for our identity. We get our identity in the Lord. I can't claim, it's like, oh, I have an extra X, therefore I can be more, less of a man. Or I have an extra X, therefore I can you know, be more feminine. I can't do that. As a believer, I cannot do that. Um, so I just really want to caution that. The The need of the hour is our culture is attacking men. It's attacking the family. It's attacking femininity. It's, atta- it's attacking all of that. And your son, he... Probably didn't have a great father. I don't know. Um, bad relationship. All of these things that we have talked about. That's what's affecting him. So there's not like a, a magical thing that's going to be like the answer for any of our kids. It's the Lord. We really need to be praying that the Lord would reveal Himself and rescue us out of our pits. This question is for all of you. Um, So someone who doesn't know the lifestyle that you came out of and were redeemed from, um, when you're in that lifestyle, you are in those situations and you're not redeemed yet. How does someone like me who doesn't understand show you love in that moment? Cause I've had friends that have chosen that lifestyle and I love them
4: as a human. I absolutely love them. If, if I could be the one to help them through that redemption, I would want to be that. How can I show
3: someone in that lifestyle the love of Christ?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to show love to people. I don't think, you know, I think often people are looking for a script or a cookie cutter answer of like, how do I reach that person? But, um, you know, if that person was in any other kind of broken lifestyle or that person, your neighbor that just doesn't know Jesus, um. We share Christ with them, and the Lord may put something on your heart. It's different for every person. I, uh, a couple of years ago, I was uh, sick one weekend, and for an entire weekend, I watched hundreds of testimonies from CBN, all about seven- or eight-minute-long little videos, and I realized how individually and uniquely and differently God worked with every single person from all walks of life. And the Lord has really put it on my heart that this really is a work of the Holy Spirit. It is Him that we often, in our humanness, We want to be loved by other people, and we try to draw them to ourselves, and we hope they'll find Jesus if we draw them to us. Remember that we're trying to draw them to Him, and so be praying. Ask the Holy Spirit how to reach that person, and He'll put. It could be any number of different things. So remember, it's all about Him and not about us.
0: I'm really encouraged that our church today has went to a new level, because we're just not here just to talk about just a general sermon we're actually dealing with real-life cultural issues that we're facing. And I want this church to know I'm proud of you for being here and listening and engaging and listening to these stories because this, this pleases the Lord. Because we are living in a culture where we're bombarded by this and no longer can we just sit on the sideline and ignore the issues of our society. We can't do that anymore. We have to be actively involved in knowing how to answer the questions like this. Amen? There was a story that came out where somebody was a trans. They got saved at church. Went to the pastor. The pastor said, I want you to go back to your original state. He, I think he or she, went back, became more depressed because they didn't know how to deal with the transitioning, and he sued the church. So we are living in a culture where we got to know how to answer these questions. And that's one of the first things I asked Laura. was like, what do you tell people? Like, how do you deal with this issue? And, of course, she gave me some awesome advice. But anyway, God is good, isn't he? Is there one more? Jonna, one more? Go ahead.
4: Now, I was just
3: saying, what, what advice would you give, like, our high school, college, young adult age, of, of how to deal or, or how to be a, a light
5: to their circle of friends that, um, you know, that, that is a part of their circle of friends, Christian or not, it's everywhere. They're, they're going to come across it.
3: So it, when you were that age, what kind of interaction from a,
1: a
5: same-age peer might have changed maybe the direction, I guess is what I'm asking.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, um, I, the youth group that I, I grew up in was so broken. Uh, we all, most of us were out partying and sleeping around, and we were, it's a long story. We had, um, first of all, just a broken church, several broken youth ministers, um, and it was just a bad situation. But I, the one that had the most impact that I still remembered well into my adulthood was a guy that was so in love with Jesus, and he would carry his Bible around, and he would tell others about Jesus. He was such a light in that dark place and um he wasn't necessarily a friend of mine but he always like there was always something that um i knew he was different he had something that nobody else had and it's one of my greatest regrets that i didn't know christ back then and i could have been such a light you know to others but um encourage our young people they'll you know it's good to ask questions um trying to understand people but we've got to be so rooted and grounded on the word ourselves And get that word in us that we'll be able to stand. Because nobody can go out and stand against this culture without a foundation. And it's more than just believing in Jesus. We've got to know his word. So that's my biggest encouragement to them.
3: If if I could add something really quickly. One of the things that really helped me. Because I was so addicted. And I didn't want anybody to know what I was doing. But the thing that I needed. What he needed. Was affirmation. Like. They talked about, it's like, you know, they talked about the birds and the bees kind of a thing, but they might, I don't know if they mentioned the, you know, addiction to pornography or other issues, but they actually, if they can speak in and say, you know, I noticed you're, you know, you're down today. I really, I want to encourage you in the Lord and the Lord loves you and he has something better for you. That kind of affirmation leads them to the Lord and it acknowledges that that you see you see their their pain and what they're going through, and they need to—they need to be seen. They're so—they're not seen if they don't call that out.
0: Very good, very good. And we could be here all afternoon, but we're going to stop. And uh, before we go, because I know people have to get up and leave, I want to take an offering and I want to bless this ministry, and uh, and I want to bless Teen Challenge as well. And so um, the, the ushers are going to bring the buckets up. If you're writing a check, make it to the church. 100% of what you give will be given to them. I'm asking you to obey the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit what to give. And then at the end of the service, we want you to come forward, bring your offerings to the bucket. Amen. Thank you, Landon. So let's obey the Lord. Everyone can do something today. If you're watching online, just go to the Give button there and give and go to the special offering and we'll make sure that they get that. All right. So let's all be obedient today and let's give. Did you enjoy, let's stand. Did you enjoy the ministry of First Stone today? Come on, did you enjoy the ministry? Will you let Laura, Jim, and Joseph know how much you appreciate them today? Come on, put your hands together. Tell them you love them today. Amen. Would you stretch your hands forth? We want to pray for Jim and Joseph and Laura. We want you, all three of you to know how much we appreciate you. Thank you for coming to Christ's point. We celebrate what God has done in your life and through your life, and we're, we're we're glad that God has brought you here because you've done something today by speaking the Word of God into our lives and helping us to understand the life that you lived and what God has done, and it really helps us to grow, and so thank you so very, very, very much. We love you and appreciate you. Would you stretch your hands forth, and let's pray over them. Father, we thank you for Laura. Thank you for Jim. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for their their life, Lord, their testimony, their redemption You brought into their life. We stretch our hands towards them and we bless them. We ask God that You go with them. Give them opportunities. Let the Spirit of God go before them and open doors that bondages will be broken, Luke chapter 4, that they will preach the good news to the captives, Lord, and, and bring sight to those who are blind. Lord, that you, they would they would preach the acceptable year of the Lord and let favor rest upon them, them and their ministry. And all of the church said a great big amen, amen. Laura, Jim, and Joseph, would you come and stand here? And after, after we're done, I want you to come forward, shake their hand today. If you have nothing to give... You can at least shake their hand. Just, get yeah, right there. Shake their hand. Let them know how much you appreciate them. I'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. Amen. And uh, I love and appreciate you. I'll, everybody give me a high five. Amen. Would you come forward and greet them today? And God bless you. And have a wonderful afternoon.